Welcome back to the Natural Health 365 podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Landsman. Our show today, Dental Warnings in a Post-COVID World. Our guest, Dr. Leonard Fazio, graduated from New York University College of Dentistry in 1988. Shortly after graduating and working in the dental field, he began to experience many health problems, including irregular heartbeat, fatigue, unexplained anxiety, headaches, and sensitivity to light and sound. While the physicians could offer really basically no cause or provide any solutions at all, Dr. Fazio knew that something was wrong. I'm going to let Dr. Fazio tell you the rest. Dr. Fazio, welcome to my show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. All right. So, hey, it's great to be with you as well. For those of you who don't know, I don't mind saying it every chance I get. This man literally saved my life. He's the one that took out all my mercury-based silver fillings. Dr. Fazio, I know you've heard me say it over and over again. I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. such a weight off my mind. But let's get back to your story because here it is. You're practicing dentistry. Your health is kind of falling apart, basically. Where'd you go from there? How'd you figure this out? Well, I um, I didn't really know where to go when I kept getting the uh, the the shrug of the shoulders from my physicians, the scratching of the head, so to speak, uh, that no one could really offer me any um, answers and therefore no solutions. Um, I just figured, well, this is my lot in life, and I'll do my best to be uh, as healthy as I could. But uh, it was almost serendipitous uh, that I came across some information which can sort of connected some dots for me, uh, Jonathan. As it turned out, in my case, uh, one of my siblings, one of my older sisters, just stumbled upon uh, the information that uh, mercury exposure from these so-called silver fillings uh, was an issue. Uh, it was determined that it was an issue for her, and when she told me that uh, she thought maybe that was uh, something I should be considering, I shrugged it off because the conventional wisdom was that there is no possibility uh, officially speaking, that um, mercury exposure from dental work could possibly be causing me any 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 harm. Uh, certainly not for my patients, but uh, there was no no evidence to suggest that I would be uh, at risk. Um, make a long story short, uh, I again initially had um, uh, almost ignored her uh, suggestions because prior to our conversation. Um, the um, American Dental Association had just sent out a uh, questions and answer sheet regarding the safety of um, mercury amalgam fillings because of a, um, a, uh, a news broadcast uh, from 60 Minutes, the television news program, uh, which had uh, questioned the safety of amalgam fillings. And uh, in light of that broadcast, or I should say in response to that broadcast, that questions and answer sheet had been sent around to all the members of the ADA, of which I was a member at the time, uh, to handle the questions that would likely have popped up from the average patient who witnessed or watched that broadcast. And so I was convinced that there was absolutely no connection between the two uh, and that my health issues were something completely different. Um, subsequent to that uh, conversation with my sister, I obviously uh, started questioning and investigating and came to the conclusion that uh, maybe this is something I should look into. Make another long story short, uh, in the fall of October, uh, I should say October of 1992, I went out to Colorado Springs to hear a lecture given by uh, the late, great Dr. Hal Huggins, 
who uh, pretty much spelled it out for me uh, and the rest of the persons in the audience that time. And that's when I had my epiphany. My aha moment came as I was sitting in that audience and as the information was presented very logically uh, to me that the occupational exposure I was receiving from routine dental care, from the uh, exposure to the mercury vapors that are created every time an amalgam filling is drilled out or placed in uh, is what piled on to my already toxic burden of the mouthful of fillings that I also had in my mouth at the time. Uh, if, uh, if, uh, you know, if people don't know who Dr. Hal Huggins is, I tell you, when you were just telling that story, most people who've never heard him speak, he could probably wake up somebody who was in a coma. He had a great way of communicating, hello, wake up, there's a problem here. That was his style, and it was very effective. I mean, he certainly got my attention. Uh, he was maybe that same style, made him a bit of a, a lightning rod for criticism, but probably because his message was so controversial at the time. Uh, it went directly against the uh, conventional wisdom and uh, was basically a challenge to the, to the American Dental Association, uh, to their position, I should say, on the safety of amalgam filling. Well, I didn't need any additional convincing, Jonathan. Uh, to me, it was quite simple. Since I could have been given no other explanation for why my health started to very rapidly deteriorate, uh, this seemed like the logical uh, uh, explanation. Um, you know, you it know, was you not know, just Dr. coincidental Fazio. that I... Dr. Fazio, you know, I, I don't know if you could speak to this now. You've gone through dental school. I know kids right now, I call them kids, you know, these are young adults who are going through dental school today. And it's very interesting how the ADA, all the conventional positions are slightly changing, but keeping so many of these new dentists that are learning the craft, so many of them are still in the dark. What I'm talking about is for years they were saying, oh, there's nothing going on, right? If we could stay with this topic for a moment. The mercury that's neurotoxic, heavy metal, that if they pull it out of the mouth, I mean, you've got to treat this like it's nuclear waste. But going in, don't worry about it. You put it in with a filling and it's like, oh, it doesn't escape. Nothing's going on. Now, if you go even on conventional websites, they admit that the stuff gets emitted. The mercury vapors are escaping the filling. They never said that before. But in the very next sentence, what do they say? Oh, don't worry about it. It's so little. So how many of these dental students are still being kept in the dark about, don't worry about it. Just put this mercury in people's mouths. Everything's fine, including pregnant women. Shouldn't be a problem at all. It shouldn't. Uh, but again, you know, there's that... Um, uh, controversy, if you want to call it that, that uh, they're, they have two, two messages. One is that, you know, leave them alone, they're fine. But if, you know, uh, an average dentist is thinking about removing it, they're going to be sort of inclined to say, no, that's going to be too dangerous to remove that. And why is that? It's because the, the mercury is in there. But what about all the times that a filling has to be removed and that there are no precautions being taught to the dentists about how to protect themselves or their patients? Um, so there's... It's a contradiction that is, um, I, I think, Jonathan, honestly, they're just hoping that this will fade away. Don't allow too many questions to be asked and just poo-poo uh, the, um, the questions that might come up for, from a casual observer and hope for the best and hope that uh, eventually it'll just go away. Now, Yeah, yeah, and the cost is, though, a lot of people suffer, right? They just hope to push it in under the rug, and it's crazy. 
They're just hoping, you know, nobody will notice. But meanwhile, all these people innocently go into the dental office. They get these fillings put in. They don't know to ask for any other kind of dental material to put in. I had somebody the other day just say, what else can I do? If it's not a mercury-based silver filling, what else can I put in a tooth if they've got to drill and fill it? What do you tell them? Well, again, a lot of that has to do uh, with what the dentist themselves or herself is comfortable with utilizing uh, in an area. You know, the alternative to amalgam fillings, which uh, for most people are the composite resin fillings, the so-called tooth colored or white fillings, uh, they are more technique sensitive, they're more difficult to do, and they're more difficult to do well, meaning, you know, that they'll be put in, be durable, and be comfortable for the patient. And so in certain uh, locations of the mouth, uh, an average dentist will say, ah, you don't see it. I'm not going to put that composite resin there. Let's just put the amalgam in. We know it's going to last. You don't see it. And it's easy. Uh, that same rationale, unfortunately, is held by the pediatric dentists who, you know, when you have a small child who's not very cooperative, doesn't want to be there, is possibly thrashing about, it's very difficult to put one of those safer type fillings in there. And therefore, it's, you know... Um, the amalgam filling will remain in the reper repertoire or arsenal yeah. of the dentist uh, when deciding what to use uh, unless a patient specifically states or the parent of a pediatric patient specifically states to the dentist before the treatment begins that they do not want an amalgam filling. Uh, then some conversation will be had by the dentist to find out why, you know, what's the problem? What are your concerns, Mrs. Smith? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. again, the average dentist is not concerned because we're taught at every turn that, oh, yeah, here we go again. They're going to raise questions about the mercury. But once it's in there, it's not an issue. So it really becomes incumbent upon the parent or the patient to sift through that information and decide what sounds logical. Do I want to even consider putting in something that we know has one of the most toxic substances known to mankind and allow that to sit in my tooth? Or do I just say absolutely no under no conditions will that be okay people are educating themselves uh, but really what's driving the move away from amalgam fillings is not the acknowledgement of the toxicity but rather the consumer let's call them dental consumers now which we refer to our patients as they like the way the tooth colored fillings look and you know what i think that's good enough for the ada because they'll just say okay We'll just make sure all dentists are well-versed in placing these uh, more aesthetically pleasing uh, restorations, whether that's something that's done in the office or something made by a laboratory, um, which does not have mercury. And everybody's happy in that way because we don't have to acknowledge the problem and we just say, okay, eventually that stuff will probably not be so, uh, so commonplace. But in the meantime, I think they're just hoping that people will just choose the pretty stuff and not even have to have, have, to have the conversation about the uh, the silver fillings. Yeah, I know. It just makes me crazy. And I know a lot of people listening to this, it has nothing to do with science, all of these things. I urge anybody listening to this message to please look into it before you get your teeth filled with this mercury-based silver fillings. Please check it out for yourself. This stuff is not something you want in your mouth. Okay, so Dr. Fazio, let's focus in. Do we need to be concerned going back to the dentist? Because, you know, a lot of places throughout the United States, they were shut down you couldn't even go in unless it was an emergency. You got this whole COVID crisis. It was crazy. Now, should I be concerned going to the dentist, going back in this post-COVID era that we're living in? Well, I, I, the short answer is yes. Um, I mean, from a physical standpoint, you don't have to worry about physical harm to you. But the concerns we're having is what 
what is going to be done by the dentist, by the dental office staff to protect you from the invisible uh, threat that is um, airborne or aerosol, uh, airborne infective agents or aerosols of any kind. And that can include the mercury vapor that we spoke about earlier. Um, by now, most dentists are fully aware of the, you know, the new screening requirements that are going to be designed to identify potential threats, uh, let's say infected persons, um, and uh, what their exposure history might have been. You know, we're going to have uh, mandates to require, um, a, a, you know, a, an in-depth questionnaire about person's history, take their temperature upon uh, entering the office to, to, you know, verify that there is no active infection going on. Um, but there's still other things to be concerned about. And that, for me, would be what about the stuff that goes on once the dental work starts to begin, you know, when the uh, dental aerosols are created. Uh, that could be from the, the dentist drill or from the, um, what we call the Cavitron, the ultrasonic scaler that the hygienist uses when everybody, everybody comes in to have their teeth cleaned. But, you know, also, just to jump in, I don't even get this whole concept. Again, it seems nothing is grounded in science. Everybody's like, check the temperature. Well, what if you don't have a temperature? What if you have the COVID virus in you? What if you're infected and you don't have any symptoms? So you go in there, they check your temperature. Oh, you're fine. Well, maybe you're not. And they keep talking about how you're walking around with the virus. You may not have symptoms, but you could give it to like four, five, ten people. The numbers change all the time. It's ridiculous. Well, what we're hoping for and what I'm actually, before we were speaking today, I'm looking into uh, uh, applying to have my dental office uh, get a status of being able to uh, get the rapid uh, test kit and hopefully test people before we admit them into the clinical area to see if we can get that 15 minute you know turnaround time to find out if they are infected because we do know that the uh, the uh, temperature or having a temperature is it's really almost here it's neither here nor there because a lot of these people who have no fever at all and seemingly are normal are carriers and will easily transmit. So, And you know, I just thought of something else that's just as critical. I know, you just go down this rabbit hole. There's no way up. It's just down, down, down. What if somebody who's feeling totally fine, you know, they're 25, 30 years old, hey, I'm ready to rock and roll, just take out this one mercury-based silver filling, you check their temperature, you test them, oh, you seem to be negative. Meanwhile, there's, you know, false positives, false negatives on the test as well. Now the person goes in to drill. There's somebody else in the office who's totally immune compromised. Somebody who's like 68 years old. They've got autoimmune disorders. They've got cancer or something. The person walks by and, you know, I mean, it's like, a it's not fair is my point that any of this is going to really be 100% no matter what you do, right? I mean, you do the best you can. You do the best you can. Uh, the, the big wild card there, though, Jonathan, is how are the physical plants of the dental offices, the layout, if you will, of right. the offices uh, designed or are they designed to kind of contain and prevent cross-contamination uh, from one person who might be compromised, might be a carrier, to the next person who is completely healthy? And unfortunately, there's really no uh, comprehensive plan for you know, protecting patients in the dental office. There are suggestions that are being made possibly, you know, air filters and such to help capture stuff that might wander into an air filter. But the, the bottom line is that on a daily basis, every day, 
new uh, amounts uh, of, of airborne particulate is thrown into the air. And if that person whose uh, mouth those airborne aerosols came out of uh, was a sick person, or even if they didn't have COVID-19, had some other uh, contagious uh, situation, then that does put everybody in the entire dental office at risk. You know, I thought of something that is completely not practical, although actually I caught myself. It might be practical, but in reality, it may not put be put into play in all the dental offices. But, you know, what about a nebulizer? I mean, when you think about some of the things that we brought up at Natural Health 365, here it is, you nebulize hydrogen peroxide, or you do something with everybody as soon as they, they're done, boom, nebulize, go home, Wow, you've really zapped somebody. How about also giving vitamin C? How about telling them as a protocol, this is what I want you to do beforehand, load up on some antioxidants. When you're done, load up as well afterwards. Do it for two weeks. I mean, a real systematic, nutrient-rich, and some of these other very effective neutralizers of viruses like the nebulizing of hydrogen peroxide, all these strategies that we could simply just have on a sheet and say, you know what, this is what you got to do. And then if the person doesn't do it, all right, they don't do it. But man, there's so many great ideas that we could actually share amongst all these intelligent people to put together a really strong plan for everybody so that they're really truly protected. Indeed. I mean, what you just said right now is fantastic. Uh, we could prep people before they even step foot in the office and get them as robust as possible, minimizing the potential for transmission with some good nutrition and some uh, good healthy habits. I mean, don't you usually, Dr. Fazio, I know you've gotten into this a lot before. I was turned on to it by really respectable biological dentists like you about the whole point of making sure your terrain is okay inside the best of your ability before going in for any kind of dental procedure anyway, right? Correct. Correct. Again, in a perfect world, that's what we would have everybody do first, get their, their terrain uh, up to snuff and get them to the point where they are a healthy person and they are uh, not only you know in, in their own best interest, but for the, uh, for the general public. And that would be the dental staff in the office and everybody else. The logistics of requiring and enforcing that, I'm sure, is uh, uh, quite difficult, uh, and that's why I doubt that there'll be any sort of mandate from organized dentistry to uh, require this, uh, and that's why you'll probably only see this in the office of uh, you know, the biological dentist or holistic dentist who have been thinking about this stuff for, for years. I mean, you know, I've been practicing biological dentistry for 28 years now, and everything every part of my being is figuring out how do we maintain a, a safe environment here, but how do we benefit our patients when they're not in the office? How do, what, what can we suggest to them to do when they leave, when they, before they come in and uh, help them out? Even like I said, when they're not even here, that makes everybody happy. Uh, that makes everybody safe. So I think, you know, uh, it, it won't happen anytime soon as far as, um, sort of an across-the-board suggestion. Right now, all that can be controlled is some uh, administrative controls, some in, you know personal protections, and the rest is a crapshoot. Okay. But look, uh, Dr. Fazio, let's 
Let's jump into it to set the tone here. Maybe we could start something really good as far as a change. we got two things going on here. On the professional side, just describe a little bit about what your office is going to be like, what the rooms are like, what you're doing to protect patients. On the equipment and on the professional side, as a practicing dentist, I want people to hear what you're doing. And then also, on a practical level, What I always tend to do is place this on the individual. They better be sharp. They better be able to know what they're doing beforehand, during, and after procedures, especially with everyone so concerned about viral infections. So let's cover both of those. First, what are you doing in your office that really is like, I think, a step above? But describe it, all right? The reason I've gotten to this particular uh, state, Jonathan, as we discussed right in the beginning here, was because of my occupational exposure to mercury. And because of that, um, one of the things I, I did early on when I when I built this office that we're in now was to make sure or ensure that uh, the office environment would be uh, as clean as possible to, again, uh, avoid cross-contamination, to keep it where uh, my even my staff would not get sick. You know, all those things a, a practice owner would want is to have your staff come in, be healthy, and not be calling in sick. Keeps production up. Everybody's happy. Um, but one of the things that became uh, apparent to me uh, when dealing with the mercury is that as the dental work is being uh, instituted, right at the very beginning of a dental appointment, uh, is the most critical time that uh, the aerosols, as they're being created by the drill or by the uh, ultrasonic scaler, must be captured immediately or as, as close to immediately as possible. Um, one of the first things I was turned on to, which I immediately adopted, was something called an extra oral uh, dental vacuum. And basically this is a, uh, uh, a glorified HEPA filter shop vac, if you will, uh, that is placed in the immediate vicinity of the patient's mouth. So as uh, particulate aerosols and vapors are created, they're sucked into this machine and not allowed to be thrown into the ambient environment uh, of the office. That particular style of uh, technology is very effective at capturing uh, the bad stuff as it's being created, um, but it's not 100% effective. Yeah, Dr. Fazio, let me just jump in so people really get it crystal clear when they go into an office. You're looking at basically a box with a long tube, and the tube is sitting, a small tube, but, you know, a nice-sized cylinder that just basically sits right on the person's chest, very close to the mouth, and it's just like, va-boom. It's just taking the air right away as much as possible, right? If uh, and, and this is what I'm seeing now is that most dentists are recognizing, and even the average dentist, holistic or not, are realizing, you know what, this has been a problem. This COVID-19 situation has really uh, opened a lot of eyes and a lot of ears to the idea that, hey, dental offices have been notoriously (laughs) terrible, sick places to be uh, because of the stuff that's constantly getting thrown in the air and that an average dentist would uh, be amenable to saying, yeah, well, I'll I'll put something over there that'll suction that stuff out so I don't have to breathe it. The problem is that technology, again, is a good start, but it's not 100% effective. So invariably, right. patient moves, they sneeze, uh, something happens, a breeze comes by, whatever. Some of the aerosols will not be drawn into that machine, which, um, like I said, can have uh, glorified HEPA filtration and in certain cases have some mercury uh, and other heavy metal uh, vapor media in there to capture the uh, vapors from, uh, from that are created from the mouth. But as I was alluding to, invariably, some other particulates, aerosols and such will be thrown into the room air. So beyond that 
let's say, three-foot radius uh, that encompasses the dentist, the patient, and the dental assistant. What do we do about that? You know, as you were alluding to, uh, the dental offices themselves are, well, again, depending on how they're set up, can either be uh, a bunch of separated rooms or there can be an open floor plan where dental chairs are not being uh, uh, separated by much. And therefore, a lot of these or a significant amount of particulates, vapors and aerosols and let's call them bioaerosols, which would be your, your bacteria, your virus and so, such, will be thrown into the air. And where do they go? Okay, what's, what's being done with them? A, a typical dental room is going to have uh, four walls in it or three walls in it, uh, corners that don't necessarily get cleaned very well, but the aerosols can go virtually anywhere. And if someone enters the room or exits the room during a uh, dental treatment, like the hygienist or an office manager or the assistant, you know, air currents are going to move stuff all around. Uh, I recognized that early on, and because I was mainly concerned with mercury vapor, knowing how toxic that is and how long the half-life of mercury is, meaning that even if you're done drilling, you could still be getting a secondary exposure to mercury for hours after the uh, treatment is done, I, I, need, I realized that there was something else had to be done, Jonathan. Uh, I realized that exhausting the room or ventilating the room with some active airflow would be the key. Now, when I, I moved into the office that I'm in currently, um, I had a vision of uh, something I, again, I'm going to give uh, props to Dr. Hal Huggins because back in the day when he was practicing, he had essentially built uh, a Faraday room for the treatment of his dental patients, uh, which was essentially um, handling uh, airborne particulates with the use of uh, ionphoresis or um, uh, negative ion generators, which would use um, uh, the ability to charge these uh, particulates with negative uh, ions and draw them physically away uh, from the treatment area. Well, that was a good start, but it didn't necessarily, again, wasn't 100% effective and didn't necessarily change the air over in the room. Okay, that when I that's where I thought it sounds logical that we should just keep bringing fresh air in and exhaust the not so clean or potentially infectious air. Uh, and that's when I decided that I would build each of my treatment rooms with as an individual room uh, separated from the rest of the office with a door uh, and then have exhaust fans placed at the foot of the let's say the wall that's at the foot of the patient where the feet would be and have fresh air come in from the back of the room be drawn across us through a process called negative pressure and be exhausted directly to the outside of the building. The most effective way I felt of turning the air over in the room. Sure. Um, this is now, it, it's not, maybe not so funny. I was going to say it's funny, but this is now what OSHA and the Centers for Disease Control are suggesting or are saying is the ideal way of handling uh, a potentially infective air source in the dental setting. So prior to 2003, the CDC had made some um, suggestions about how to handle uh, potentially, you know, uh, airborne uh, uh, exposures, but primarily the sources were concerned or they were concerned with, uh, let's say, blood spatter or uh, saliva. And generally we know that it didn't travel too far and so the hard surfaces in the immediate vicinity of the patient would be wiped down and sterilized, and that was about it. There was some mention about maybe talking or sneezing or coughing might launch some uh, airborne particulates, but there were no suggestions, no guidelines on what to do with all the rest of that air. Uh, and this is what I thought 
we need to change that air. So within the last three weeks, the CDC has come out with a new set of guidelines saying negative pressure, the process by which uh, air travels from an area of high pressure to low pressure, and in the case of my office where we have direct exhaust um, of that air to the exterior of the building, is the ideal environment for handling a dental patient whether they're infected or not. But if they are infected, then it's the same principle they use in a hospital. And that's where dental offices have not been held to that same standard as hospitals are. So I basically, without even knowing it, built an office uh, that is now uh, up to a hospital standard by using this process of, um, of negative pressure flow. Okay, so this all sounds good, but I can hear the voices out there, Dr. Fazio. People are going to be like, all right, will my dentist be able to do this? You know, where do you take them from there? Because not everybody can go to New York where you are. We'll talk about where you're, you know, where they can get more info about you. But what do they do where they are? Well, let me, let me, let me just answer that by saying this first. Uh, about three weeks ago, Jonathan, uh, the incoming president of the Pennsylvania State Dental Association had issued a mandate requiring all their dentists before they return to work and start treating patients again to install this negative pressure environment in their offices. I think that's because everybody realizes that this is the ideal environment to be uh, seen in or be treated in. Um, but as I alluded to earlier, the logistics of enforcing something like that, uh, I think proved to be um, very uh, challenging, let's say. And uh, within about a week, they walk back that mandate. So there is no um, push right now or movement for all dentists to start moving to this, um, let's say, converting their office to this negative pressure environment. Yeah, but, you know, the bottom line is there's not, there's not a big demand for it. So if people start yelling for it, then the whole world's going to be different. Right. So the bottom line is that 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 information probably will not get out to the average dental consumer, all right, the average dental right. patient, so they may not know to ask for it. I hope that uh, by the time we're done today that most people will have gotten a bit of a, an education and start saying, I think that's what I want, and yeah. where do I go? Well, uh, again, I think uh, what the first thing is going to have to happen is the, dent the patient will ask their local dentist, whoever they've been treated by, to say, right. what have you done? You know, aside from, let's say, the administrative changes, the uh, – the screenings and such that we talked about, and maybe the personal protections, the gowning and the mask and the gloves and all that kind of stuff. What else right. are you doing for me? Uh, right. What else have you done about the, uh, the the air in the room? Well, again, they're probably going to get the uh, probably the first response will be, well, we got some air air purifiers in here. Okay, that's a start, but I don't think that's what the patient is going to be wanting. So if they can ask the specific question about, do you, doctor? have a negative pressure treatment area or maybe one room that they've dedicated to that uh, that the patient could request to be treated in there. And that would give them the most peace of mind, highest right. degree of security. Um, there is no national registry of dentists who have uh, a negative pressure environments. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, I'm looking to change that. Um, I have a number of dentists uh, across the country, in Utah, uh, Texas, here in New York that uh, recognize that this is an ideal thing uh, as far as providing their patients with safety, but also for themselves, and are now seeking 
my uh, my knowledge on how to convert their offices. What was the name of what was the name of that device? though also that they could ask for that the dentist should have with the tube right next to their mouth. I will call that a, an extra oral or outside the mouth dental vacuum. And okay. I'm going to tell you that there's been a push by the dental supply companies to push this on the dentists um, because it's so effective and is um, something that can be placed right at the source uh, where the uh, aerosols are being created. A lot of dentists are saying this is a great idea. The problem is they're all in back order. The demand has not right. uh, has you know the supply has not reached the demand. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, and everything is on back order for a month or two. So when dentists get the go ahead to go back to work, many of them, even if they want this stuff, won't have it. The, su the, the supplies are not there. The personal protections are also an issue. The gowning and the stuff, most of those supplies are being diverted to the hospitals on the front lines, if you will. And so dentists are, even myself, uh, sort of on the back, uh, back burner. Now, fortunately for me, uh, I had, because we replace mercury fillings all the time, we have all that kind of protection, the respirator masks and the, the gowns and the Tyvek uh, hazmat suits and stuff. Yeah, but it, you know what? It still it just comes down to the whole thing is going to be such risky business for people. If someone is so concerned about their immune system, this is time to wake up and do a lot for themselves before they have to go to see a dentist. And then during their visit, you know, it's just do the best you can, I guess. But then afterwards as well, for a week or two, they're going to have to be super diligent to make sure that they're okay after that visit. It all comes down to the individual to go through and have a really sound immune system protocol flooding their body with antioxidants, antivirals. They're going to have to do this stuff. That's the bottom line. Yep. And I'm going to tell you this, Jonathan, another reason why patients will probably not see this negative pressure thing happening uh, anytime soon at their average dentist is that dentists already are, are going to be incurring significant costs, overhead costs, let's call them, for all the uh, personal protections and all these other uh, protocols that we're now going to be mandated to uh, institute. Um, the cost to convert an average dental office might be, um, you know, to a negative pressure environment will probably be overwhelming to these persons who are already, you know, struggling from uh, loss of income and such. And right, I don't right. think that most dentists out there are going to say, you know, I'll spend another bunch of money on converting my office to negative pressure if it's not mandated. Well, now what does the patient do? Even if they want that, uh, as I was alluding to earlier, what I'm in the process of doing is creating a network, uh, a certification, if you will, of, um, of dental offices that meet these certain Great. requirements, which I am now going to be calling safety op certification, uh, named after the uh, treatment room that I've developed. Uh, and people are... They're loving. So those dentists who are already in the process of doing this are thrilled because now they can say to their patients, look, we're going above and beyond what is mandated. This is not required, but we know that this is the best way because the CDC and OSHA is saying this is the best way to yeah. handle patients, whether they're infected or not, but for everyone's benefit. Uh, if people will stay tuned, uh, that as I get more persons uh, in, the, uh, in the fold, so to speak, uh, that I will have my website. Uh, safetyop.com will have a, a registry of those dentists and dental offices across the country who have bought in and will then uh, maintain and you know require yearly recertification of their facility to continue to bring them the safest possible care in the most uh, comfortable environment. 
And and Dr. Fazio, if somebody did want to make the effort to travel to see you, because I know a lot of people have serious concerns with their mouth, mercury, root canals, whatever, evaluations, uh, where's the best place that they should go? Can they just go to holisticsmiles.com? Please do. I think that's a great spot. Uh, there'll be, especially in light of the COVID-19 epidemic, I've got a lot of new content on the website, uh, which is, I think, very self-explanatory. And if someone reads that, we'll probably be very excited uh, that someone is doing something above and beyond. Uh, but let me say this, Jonathan, uh, because of the unique nature of our practice, we are in the habit of treating people from out of town, out of state, and out of the country. Sure. Uh, so someone is looking to come someplace where they don't have to worry uh, and be handled properly, not only in how the treatment is being done, but even the, as we alluded to earlier, the materials that we use, um, then they are more than welcome to come to see me. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. We are, um, again, you know, very happy to handle those, uh, handle those people from out of town and helping them you know, with the logistics of traveling, um, getting into town and all that kind of stuff. Uh, again, we do this all the time. So uh, yeah. I think this will be one of those things where people say, you know what, if I got a toxic issue, whether it's a mercury issue, a root canal issue, I'm going to go to Fazio. Hopefully uh, he can give me the in information I know, but at the very least to know I'm going to go to a place that's safe and I don't have to stress out too much if I'm going in there and there was someone who might have been sick before I went in there. That person is not going to have to worry that they'll get sick from the person who uh, might have been in there earlier or even a, a day before. Dr. Fazio, every chance I get, I tell people you are, I hope you don't take it the wrong way because I mean it as the highest compliment. You are a great mechanic. You took out 14 of my dental amalgams, these mercury-based silver fillings in my entire mouth, right? All of them you took out, filled it with the composite. I've never had a problem since then, thank God. But you do take great care. You got great workmanship, and I highly recommend you. So there's no doubt that is so true. And uh, anyway, so look. If somebody wants to stay in touch with us over here at Natural Health 365, you want to see what I'm doing over here, be sure that you're signed up for our newsletter over at naturalhealth365.com. And uh, thanks again, Dr. Fazio. This was really great. Thank you, Jonathan. I was so glad to uh, share this information to you, uh, with you and your audience. You know this is something that's near and dear to me, and uh, it's now my, my, my biggest passion now professionally is to just get more people uh, up to snuff on this and tell them that there are solutions. There are, uh, there is a better way to do it. Uh, it's just that more of these dentists need to build a better mousetrap <laughs> in their office. And, uh, and I, again, the message I'm putting out there is not only for the patients. I want to help my colleagues. I want to get the dentists out there. Hip to the ideas is why I've created a separate website called safetyop.com, which, uh, gives dentists hope if they want my opinion, or even have the uh, the work done, give them supplies and information about how to convert, uh, then we're doing that. And ultimately, that's going to be my, uh, my, my focus. Great. Dr. Fazio, thanks again. And we'll be speaking to everybody really soon. Take care, everybody.